1: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates.
0: Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the Yankees Magazine podcast. I guess we're on season three, episode two now. I'm John Schwartz. I'm the deputy editor of Yankees Magazine. With me today, I have Nathan Makaborski, our executive editor. Hello, everybody. And making his distinguished Yankees magazine debut, we have our associate editor, Gary Phillips. Welcome, Gary. Well, thanks
2: for having me on. Excited to be doing this.
0: Cool. Gary, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you uh, get involved in this place?
2: So uh, before this, I'd been freelancing for a couple years, covering Yankees games, writing stories out of the stadium, on the Yankees, on Major League Baseball. I got to know Nate a little bit over the last two years, and there was this opening, and he said, hey,
0: why don't you apply? And I said, I think that's a great idea. And (laughs) here we are. Well, welcome, it's uh, been fun having you so far. I think uh, I'm confident uh, as our readers get to know your stuff better, they're gonna see the same stuff that we liked about you from the beginning. And we're gonna be talking about one of those stories today, which is about the Yes Network broadcasters who fans might recognize from their time uh, actually wearing the pinstripes instead of talking about the guys wearing the pinstripes. We're also gonna talk about my story on Clint Fraser, who went through about as hard a year last year as you possibly can and has enjoyed a pretty nice start to the 2019 season so far. So that's what we have for you today. We are, you know, almost 2 weeks into the season so far before we get into these stories. I'm, you know, curious what Gary, why don't you start us off? What are your impressions so far?
2: Pretty up and down, pretty bumpy start to the season so far. Obviously a lot of injuries. It's not what you want. <laughs> uh, but there's uh, you know, there's also been a lot of bright spots. The team's obviously hitting the ball well as it should be. The pitching's been really good, despite not having CC Sabathia and Luis Severino. Obviously not good news on Severino, but it's not time to panic yet.
0: I think, obviously, there's something to be said for the fact that while this team is going through what it's going through, and obviously, I mean, you, you wish they weren't doing it against teams at the bottom of the league, but obviously, you know, it's hard not to notice that the Red Sox are going through much of the same stuff right now. So, you know, I think the nightmare scenario in a situation like this is that you start off two and four four and four four and five five and five whatever and you know you have the best team in the division just running away with it right now uh, yeah you're not seeing that from the red sox so that i think is the silver lining nate what's impressed you so far
3: I think I've been impressed just kind of with the way the team has sort of stuck together and uh, showed their depth and showed that, uh, you know, even missing so many key pieces, they're still, you know, they're right there every night. You know, they've been in every one of these games. There's certainly been some tough losses along the way, but, you know, I I know we're kind of conditioned to just, you know, think about the guys who are in the lineup and who are active and not focus too much on the guys who aren't here. But, uh, you know, it's going to be nice to get some of these guys back hopefully pretty soon, you know, just thinking about the Houston series and how nice it would have been to have, you know, Dylan Betances as an option out of the bullpen or Giancarlo Stanton in the middle of the lineup. Um, those are big pieces that we're missing, so.
0: That, and, that, and that's the thing to me. You really made the right point, Nate. You know, whether you're an athlete or whether you're just involved with a team or whether you write about the team, look, the team you have on the field is all that matters at that moment. You know, no one cares about who you don't have. But man, like, Giancarlo Stanton, Miguel Andujar, Troy Tulowitzki, Aaron Hicks, you know, it's no knock against Clint Frazier, one of the guys we're going to talk about who's been doing well. It's no knock against Mike Talkman, who shouldn't be the starting left fielder for the New York Yankees in a game. I mean, he, he just, it, it's not the role that he's supposed to have. And it was two weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago, we were talking about, you know, this unstoppable lineup and this unstoppable bullpen. And the bullpen, for the most part, has been pretty good, but obviously it needs Dillon to come back. But you can't pretend that losing Giancarlo Stanton, Miguel and Hartroi to Lewitsky and Aaron Hicks isn't going to have an impact on what you're doing. You know, meanwhile, they still had the game in Baltimore when they hit seven home runs. So yeah. it's there. The talent is there. You know, it's a very good team that is sending out Clint Frazier and DJ LeMayhew and, you know, a lot of these other guys as, you know, their backups per se. Not that is a backup, but you know what I mean. But at the same time, you can't make up for not having Giancarlo Stanton in your lineup. It doesn't work. Even if you have Aaron Judge, losing Giancarlo Stanton is a massive loss. So, you know, that's where we are right now. It is, as we said, still early. But, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's definitely it, – it's so funny, and I think – if it's the third year doing this, I think I've said this every year, you go all this time of waiting for the season to start, waiting for the season to start, waiting for the season to start. And suddenly not only are we 10 plus games into the season, but we're also watching a team that doesn't in any way resemble what we were expecting <laughs> to be watching when we were making all of our plans for the season. And it's just, that's, that's what baseball does to you.
3: Yeah. But it's all right. It's, I'm just, I'm glad it's back and, you know, watching the games every night, often when they're on the road, tuning into the yes network. Um, it's it's enjoyable. It's it's a good time of, of year to be a, a sports fan.
0: So Nate, you couldn't have done that better. If you tried, I think you might have tried. It's been yes, Network. <laughs> Gary, this is your first big feature for Yankees Magazine. It's called "From On Field to On Air," and I think that part of what makes baseball so enjoyable for me, at least, and I think for most people, is that it is there every night. And when you get home from work, when you're making dinner, or whatever, you're going to sit down and you're going to watch. Generally, the same couple of groups of guys talking about your team and you know every individual off day in the middle feels like just this horrible like purgatory of your life where you, know, you can't believe there's no baseball that night because you know michael k ken singleton paul o'neill david Cohn, these guys are there are sherpas essentially for six months of the year they really lead us through every part of this and i'm you know i'm interested you know from your perspective what made you want to talk about how this group comes together
2: What I wanted to know most was just what goes into the transition. How do you go from being a player who's done nothing really but play baseball your entire middle school, high school, college, teenage life up until adulthood, your 30s, your 40s, how do you suddenly have a high-profile job in sports media, broadcasting, calling a game when you've never done this before? One of the things that was really interesting that stood out to me in doing the reporting for this was that... They really don't have any training. There really is no preparation for this. They just, and this is speaking specifically about the Yes Network. I don't know how it is elsewhere. They just throw them in the booth and say, hey, talk about the game you played.
0: Well, it's a a great way that you lead us into the story, but also kind of continues throughout. You know, this idea is you guys know baseball and you know what you used to talk about when you were baseball players. So preferably with fewer swear words and with, you know, less blue uh, content, do that. Just go out there and do that for three hours. Even and, with and some the of these guys. Even with some of these guys. There's some blue content on there sometimes.
2: <laughs> but um you know, because Tony Roma was a really big story this past year with CBS. And I remember reading how at CBS they had him come in, they did an audition, they had him call a pre-recorded game with Jim Nance, and that was basically his audition, and they built off of that. He trained based off of that. And I'm asking Paul O'Neill about this, and he's like, Oh. I'm glad there was no training because then I probably wouldn't have done it. I'm, they just threw me in the booth and said talk about the game and here I am.
4: That uh, was probably t- the best thing about it because I don't know if I would have You know, wanted to put in the time and effort of going to training to to how to talk about a game that, you know, I played my whole life. So, uh, like I said, were there mistakes made early? I'm sure. Are there still mistakes? I'm sure. I'm not a professional at broadcasting. I didn't take this in school. You know, I I played baseball, but to be able to talk about the game and and talk about what goes on in in your mind and things is still fun for me and hopefully interesting to the people listening.
2: What they don't have as any broadcast television experience. They have to know when to look at the lights or when to talk. They have to make sure they're not relying on crutches such as like or um when they speak. They have to make sure that they're enunciating and that they have this energy, even if it's the 15th inning and it's late at night. So getting adjusted to all of those things while they have the baseball knowledge, there's definitely some bumps in the road,
0: especially when they're starting. So Gary, um, about five minutes ago before you began your first appearance on the Yankees Magazine podcast, I gave you about two minutes worth of don't say um too much, try not to speak too fast, (laughs) you know, all all, all those things. How how would that compare, do you think, to the training that John Flaherty and Paul O'Neill got? I'm going to imagine they stammered a few times and stumbled stumbled (laughs) over a few words like I am here. Well, the funny (laughs) thing is, you know, you mentioned the Tony Romo thing and there's two points I want to make about that. The first one is I think that you can't even compare calling football and calling baseball because football, it has to be so precise and you have to be identifying things that there's no way that the fans watching can see. In baseball, of what happens the fans are going to see you know there's nothing off camera in baseball there's nothing you know where you need to know kind of what happens if a player you know has his foot pointed this way instead of that way most of the stuff the fans can see so I think I think it is a little different but the Tony Romo example obviously it has to lead into the Jason Witten example also that you know It's not just about taking someone who is personable and who knows the game and who people like and throwing them in there and saying, anyone can do this. You know, it's just talking about sports. Obviously, there is something that these guys do well. And, you know, I know that in addition to speaking to them, you are both a Yankees fan. And I know you did a lot of work trying to look at what makes them successful. So I'm curious, in your mind, why is this group good? Well, I think there's such a wide
2: range of not only personalities in there, but also backgrounds and approaches to the broadcast, uh, which is something I talk about in the story. David Cohen, for example, really into analytics. He's also got great stories from his playing days. He played on some wild teams. Paul O'Neill's very goofy in the booth, not necessarily as invested in stats or what's happening. nitty-gritty, but he brings a sense of humor to it. Ken Singleton's kind of that go-to guy for the anecdotes for back in the day, because his playing career goes back further than anybody else in there. And then you have Flaherty, who... As a catcher, he kind of understands every single situation that's happening in front of him, and I just think that combination of approaches, personalities, it makes for a really good broadcast, especially when
3: you combine it with Michael Kay, Ryan Rucco. In addition to speaking to the announcers, uh, you also spoke to John Filippelli, who is, uh, you know, kind of in charge of, uh, you know, hiring them at the S yes Network, and um, you know, he had a lot of interesting insight into the whole process, and one of the things. Uh, I thought it was interesting was that, you know, he spoke about there's obviously a lot of different announcers on their roster. I mean, they even like kind of poke fun at themselves with some of their commercials about the the nine man booth and stuff like that. So on any given night, you might hear a different crew in there, which I think is different than some other teams. You know, I think certain fans might want to hear like the same voice night in and night out. Continuity. But Filipelli kind of comes at it from a different angle, doesn't he? So I
2: asked Filipelli about that and how's it been working for you having this huge booth with all these people and he said I think it's going pretty well after all these years and the way he explained it was you have a group of friends you're friends with them for different reasons and they're friends with each other for different reasons but they're all really good friends and you get together for a party well it's going to be a much better party when there's a whole group of people there opposed to two or three and he kind of just said you know especially with these guys being former players people that Yankees fans are familiar with He likes the variety he likes giving different flavors different combinations to the audience on a nightly basis and like he said Yeah, it's working out. All right. I
3: guess I had never really thought of it that way And but after I read his quote about that, I was like, yeah, that does make sense you know, I'm like I I do appreciate hearing all those different perspectives and different voices and uh, I don't necessarily need, need to hear the same two or three guys every night night after night year after year It's a long season. It keeps it fresh
0: I think what surprises me also about the group though is you have, you know, the varying eras and the varying perspectives that come from, you know, a guy of Singleton's age, a guy Kay who has been around the team for so long. I know for me, you look at the Paul O'Neill on, you know, replay and usually it's him being, you know, just a maniac <laughs> and obviously he's such a goofball in the booth. I would have guessed that there would be a lot more of a back-in-my-day and what's wrong with these guys.
2: That was something I really wanted to explore with this piece, because in baseball especially you hear a lot of complaints about, oh, this former player who's now a broadcaster, he's always playing the back-in-my-day card, he's always complaining about the game in front of him, and you never hear that those complaints about the yes booth, so I made sure I asked each guy about that, and they all have varying takes on analytics, and some are bigger fans of them than, than are not. but. Cone, as you, as you alluded to, is a huge analytics guy. He's kind of become the savant when it comes to using those numbers.
1: You know, I have no problem with a difference of opinion. I think sometimes you hear uh, some ex-players that want to criticize the modern game or analytics, and they don't really understand the analytics part of it. So it's sort of like saying hey, I, I didn't like that movie or, or I didn't like that book. And then you ask them, well, did you see the movie or did you read the book? And, and they say, well, no, but I don't like it. So that, that's my big pet peeve. At, at least read the book. At least educate yourself right. before, before you're going to trash you know, a, you know, a, a whole sector of the game that's become so important. Uh, I like the modern game. Um, it's different. That doesn't mean it's worse or it's better. It's just different. I think if you get into the trap of saying, well, the game was better when I played because we did it this way, you know, that that's something that kind of sets off my alarm bells and something I certainly try to avoid.
2: He just has an appreciation for the game that's in front of him. And he does a really good job of making sure that if he's going to use analytics, it's easily understandable for the audience. And I think that's why they're are in complaints in either direction. And he's been very effective with that. But I
0: would even take that a step further. It's not just about making it easy to understand for the audience by taking the low-hanging fruit. I think he does a really good job of explaining what he's talking about. If he's going to use a stat, he's going to explain what it means. He's not just going to try to impress you by using a bunch of you know acronyms and just kind of talking through it. He's going to explain what he's seeing and why that matters.
2: Exactly, and he does it with a combination of his insights, his anecdotes, his sense of humor. He really makes it a point to make it understandable for the listener because... But the way the game is today, analytics are such a big part of baseball. If you're not talking about them, if you're not discussing how they're being used on a broadcast, then you're doing your fans a disservice. You're not providing them with the information that they need to understand how the team is truly functioning.
0: You know, I'm I'm curious for both of you guys, when you look at this roster right now, who do you expect, you know, 10, 15 years from now, you know, on yes, network 3D, um, hologram televisions, (laughs) who who are, who are we going to be watching, talking about the, uh, you know new york intergalactic yankees well
2: michael k and john Filippelli gave me a few suggestions so nate i'll let you take the first
3: stab oh at wow it. you're gonna put me on the spot here huh i don't know i mean every time i uh speak to austin romine i come away impressed with his just ability to talk about the game so i don't know whether that lends itself to the broadcast booth or as a manager someday or whatever but uh I don't know for for some reason Austin Romine was the first name that popped into my head was he a name that came up in your mine was a
2: name that came up twice and I definitely see it just from talking to him myself mm-hmm. he'll, he'll be a good broadcaster if he wants to kind of on that similar Flaherty path mm-hmm. um I'll have to actually ask him about that if it's anything he's considered but the other name that came up to me which was a little bit of a surprise to me was Luke Voigt mm. just the energy he would bring the enthusiasm yeah. maybe not necessarily oh, you know, he's not going to be your David Cohen he's not going to be your analytics guy or you know somebody necessarily who breaks down a swing, but I could definitely see some passion being added to the broadcast there.
0: I think Zach Britton is a guy who he can certainly talk about the game. I think the problem Britton will have is that a lot of his answers end up being about seven to eight minutes. So he's going to need to be able (laughs) to get them into, you know, frame that'll fit between the pitches. But I I definitely could see him doing it um, for sure. A strange one, maybe someday I could see Sevi doing it. The guy just really has a lot of interesting insight into you know, how pitching works and kind of what it does. I, I would love to see him get comfortable enough where he could do that. And, of course, you know, look, we keep hearing about it. I'm curious what ends up coming of, you know, CC. I know. I don't know if it's necessarily interested in, uh, you know, in-game. Um, but, obviously, he's, you know, interested in working with ESPN. I think the biggest hang-up for him might be that a lot of times these guys wear collared shirts, and he's vowed right. never to do that after he retires. It's so. a deal-breaker. But I think what's interesting about him is that He'll be able to do it for all sports, I think. Absolutely. That's a great point. I think you're going to see him as just kind of one of those jack-of-all-trades guys who can go on ESPN and talk football, can talk basketball. I haven't heard him do much hockey yet, but I wouldn't put it past him. <laughs> um, if you follow uh, him and Amber on Instagram, you can see all the, the guys go to Broadway shows all the time. They do all the, they're do they pretty uh, up on New York City entertainment. So I think that we're going to be hearing from CC a lot. But look, I I think it's an interesting topic because you can't overstate the role that a guy like David Cohn plays in helping you enjoy and learn about what you're watching. And I I I think we've talked a lot about the players themselves. You know, Michael Kay, beyond just the radio show that he does for hours a day, he's still kind of that familiar voice for Yankees fans, whether it's going back all the time to when he was with John Sterling on the radio. There are you know, 20-some-odd-year-old Yankees fans who really, Michael Kay has been the only voice they've known for their team for a long time, and I I think that plays a big role in how they perceive the Yankees and what it means to listen to the Yankees for them.
3: Yeah, these guys become a a very important part of the team. To me, growing up during the the 90s dynasty, it was like, you know, Kay and Sterling were the the soundtrack of that. You know, when I think back in my mind to my memories of those games, I'm often hearing their voices in my head when I think about it.
0: And, and, you know, we, we mentioned John Sterling. I think someone else that we need to mention, you know, that is, again, special about the way that the Yankees have handled their broadcasts um, for so long. Susan Waldman, of course, you know, who's a complete pioneer in the industry. There was really, you know, in some ways horrible, in some ways really incredibly well done story by, uh, I believe it was Laura Albanese um, a couple days ago. Just about, you know, all the difficulties that she's faced in being, you know, a woman in this field and the ways that she has not only persevered, but also become really a mentor for a lot of other women who are trying to get into the industry. The Yankees obviously have Gene Afterman as their assistant GM and, you know, with Susan Waldman as a voice for the team every single night it's hard to stress just how important that is for a huge portion of the fan base that these are, you know, voices and personalities that they're seeing involved with their team.
3: Yeah, she does an amazing job. Her voice is uh, ubiquitous in our household. Her and and John are are on pretty much every night. And uh, I've always admired, you know, Susan's consistency in that, you know, you see her down there in the locker room every single day. She knows everything that's going on with this team. And, uh, you know, her insights really bring a lot to the
0: broadcasts. So the story is from on-field to on-air. It's obviously in the April edition of Yankees Magazine. Gary, you've set the bar pretty high for your first feature. Uh, <laughs> we uh, certainly look forward to uh, all that you have coming up.
3: You want to want to give uh, listeners a little a little sneak preview into what they might expect from you in May? So I'm doing a story on Adam Adovino,
2: and he's got this just super New York backstory. Obviously, he grew up in Brooklyn, but... His family's got a business where they've worked on several New York landmarks. His dad's an actor who's been in NYPD Blue and Law & Order. There's a lot of interesting tidbits just about his childhood in there, growing up, how he went from Park Slope, Brooklyn native, to pitching for the New York Yankees.
3: Awesome. Can't wait to read it.
0: So we will take a quick break here. When we come back, we're going to talk about clint frazier and the work that he put in the work that he's still putting in to overcome just a totally lost and brutal 2018 so stick with us thanks so much
4: hi this is masahiro tanaka you are listening to the yankees magazine podcast I think it's that I'm a little outspoken, you know, that I have confidence. And I think that I think that other people said things about me early on whenever I got over here that may have put a sour taste in other people's mouths, whether that be saying that I asked for a jersey number that I didn't ask for or going on the radio and saying I should be out there playing. You know, it's it's just comments that didn't come from me that I feel like still linger over my head and in the end I've never done anything bad I'm a 24 year old kid that's having fun with a little bit of personality and, and it's you know if you're going to talk the talk you got to be ready for everything that comes with it and, and I am
0: so
3: we just heard a little bit of the audio from John's story called let it be on Clint Fraser can be found in the April issue of Yankees magazine also on yankees.com slash magazine so John for this story uh you interviewed Clint in spring training right yes Heading into that interview, obviously we all knew what Clint had gone through in 2018. What were you hoping to kind of discover during that interview?
0: I was hoping to understand what he thinks is the reason why people hate him. And that's kind of an awkward conversation to have with somebody. (laughs) (laughs) I had to do a lot of finessing in terms of, you know, the order of questions and things like that. I've spoken to Clint, you know, a few times, obviously, but I wouldn't say that I'm somebody who he trust necessarily or who he you know feels that comfortable with we just don't have much of a relationship so i really tried to get to a point where he would feel okay answering questions of hey man why do you rub people the wrong way and i think and this wasn't just phoniness on my part and it's not just you know working for the yankees the reason i was interested in doing that is because i can't figure it out myself because i kept going through this looking for the things he had actually done and I kept kind of hearing, you know, oh, you know, Clint Frazier's got a bad attitude or Clint Frazier does this or, ugh, you know, Clint Fraser again. And I would look at it and just be like, but what does that mean? Like, what is again? And I started to just really just becoming, I don't want to say like overprotective of him, but even it is a little bit. of I just started trying to figure out what what is this narrative that exists that has so taken over the idea of who he is? Do you think it's a generational thing?
2: And I, I say that. Admittedly, as a twenty-four year old, Clint's the same exact age. He made his major league debut or his Yankee Stadium debut when he was twenty two. That was my first season being in the clubhouse freelancing. He was one of the first guys I talked to and kind of formed a rapport with. But I'm thinking, hey, this guy's relatable. He gives good answers. He's got, you know, some he's he's got some personality and some flair. He's confident, but not Cocky, but maybe that's just me looking at it as somebody who's his age.
0: So I have a really very simple answer to that question, and that is, I don't think anybody has a clue what their problem with Clint <laughs> And I really, no, no, I'm not joking when I say this. I really mean it. I don't think people understand what it is about him that bothers them. You know, I was playing around on Twitter when I was writing the story. And it, it, the reason, so at The Athletic, Lindsey Adler had put a story on Clint Fraser right as I was finishing mine, which is obviously, you know, maddening in so many ways, but it was actually, it, it provided me with, you know, some rational good data that I could use to try to figure some stuff out because I would look at people responding and it was just kind of like you know shut up and get on the field or you know don't talk until you've done anything you know uh, and, Or and, and there was one thing that it was just like you know uh, more noise from Clint Fraser. you know he, he he can't help himself he keeps doing it. and I responded to this person not as saying like you know hi Yankees magazine here like let's have a conversation but I was just like can you explain what Clint Frazier has done that has bothered you and I, I just got like you know oh you know he doesn't know his place well and was just like this like nonsense platitude of just like you know oh it's so obvious like don't you get it and i and i even made that point in the story and i don't want to make you know nick swisher out to be the villain of the story in any way but i had a very weird interview with nick swisher where i i went to him kind of expecting like you know okay you're going to be my guy on this you know you're going to explain to me what it is about clint fraser you know that you see a kindred spirit in and and maybe you can explain from your experience you know What's wrong with that? And instead, I'm getting from Swisher like, no man, bro, the dude's got to rein it in, yo. You know, mm-hmm. his personality's playing the 30 home runs. He hasn't done anything yet. Of all the people, of all the people, and uh, ugh, I'm not trying to again be negative about Nick Swisher, but I said to him like, what has Clint Fraser done? And he just like, kind of looked at me like, just bro, don't you know? Like it's just so obvious. <laughs> and and and, and so that's where I left it. Like uh, the, the ambiguity of what has he done? Like that that's where I kind of felt like I had hit on a very long answer to your question which is i don't think that it's generational i don't think it means anything I, I, th- I think if i said it was generational i would say that like these are how the generations have changed and this is how what he yeah. is doing would not be acceptable to a 50 year old but there's nothing he's doing that's not acceptable to a 50 year old
3: <laughs> no look he he has confidence which all ballplayers must and uh, i hope he doesn't rein it in because to me i don't know it, he's never rubbed me the wrong way. I mean, I've watched him really closely ever since we've gotten him and I like the passion he plays with and he's, he's cognizant of how others perceive him. Maybe too much. So, you know, he's, he's, he's a unique character, but as Aaron Boone has said, time after time, the talent is real. Like it's eventually, I think there's going to be a day when you're looking at, you know, an all-star ball player with, personality and you know it makes me think of the the MLB spot that came out recently the press conference with all the you know the biggest names in the game and you know kind of poking fun at that old adage of you know the cliches, just put your head down and play that sort of thing Uh, he's he's
0: part of the new generation that They're not like that. And they don't have to be. And I hope it continues to move in that direction. Obviously, Mike Trout is in that commercial. And I think Mike Trout is kind of, you know, the other side of this question, which is everyone wants more personality from Mike Trout more than maybe he wants to give. But so here's my question for you, you know. And I want to preface this by saying, don't forget, Clint Frazier, while he hasn't always had great success in the majors to this point in the short times that he's been up, he hit a home run in his first game. It wasn't like, you know, he slogged his way through for a while before he ever did anything. So how much have you guys been paying attention to Pete Alonso across town at all? Yeah, Yeah. it's off to a great start. Off to an amazing start, right? But he shows up. He makes the opening day roster when he wasn't expected to. When camp started, makes the opening day roster. Sends out, you know, a tweet of like him as King Kong, kind of scaling the Empire State Building. He's jumping up and down when he does things. He's giving these super, super confident interviews, and I think that's amazing. Imagine if Frazier did that. Not just imagine if Frazier did that, like. What is the difference between what he is doing, what Fraser doing, and what it boils down to? And I can't believe I'm saying this because I said it to him as a joke, but is it just that Clint Fraser has red hair?
4: I've made that comment a hundred times. I mean, if I had a different color of hair, I don't think anyone would. It would not be that polarizing. I, it's not even long anymore, you know? know. So it's it's. I'm not trying to have Hairgate 2.0, you know. No, I so it. I like where I'm at right now. I look. If cutting my hair is something I have to do. I don't even want to, like, talk about no, it no, because not, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm it's o- you know, I'm, I'm no, no, trying. and I'm not going it. No. I'm saying it. it's just, like, little things, man, like, things that I look at right now where it's, like, I should have just cut it. You know what I mean? should have just cut it. I think, in a sense, I did do something which was not looking like everybody else, and I paid the price for for that, you know? There is a rule, and, and I can accept that I was different looking, and I don't want to be the black sheep in the crowd. But right now, I think that... It. Yeah, and it's over with. There are actual
0: stereotypes in the world about redheads. Like there, you know, it's not just like a, the idea of the redheaded stepchild or whatever. You know, obviously these things are real. Not to say that they should be, but you know, people have these feelings about redheads. Is that what this is? I mean, he made the joke, you know, or maybe not a joke. Like if I had dark brown hair, you know, no one would care. Mm. Is it that bloody simple? <laughs> if it is for people, it's. Kind of ridiculous. I don't think there's anyone out there saying like, "Oh, I don't like redheads. But it's just like, you know how they say that, you know, red cars get tickets more than mm-hmm. other cars, you know? Yeah. Is there just this weird perception that he is more flashy than he is and he is more, you know, less substantial than he actually is? I think it's just, you know,
3: redheads are obviously, they're they're a minority when it comes to hair color. And it's a bright, loud color. And you can't help but notice them. You know, more than others. So when a guy is in the dugout who has, you know, bushy, bright red hair sticking out from under his cap or his helmet, your eye is going to be drawn to him perhaps a little bit more, regardless of what he's doing down there.
2: Right. And aside from the color, he's had you know, some interesting flows over the years <laughs> in, the, in the very short time that But, he's... but you know what?
0: And, and, and I'm sorry to cut you off because this drives me crazy. I, I'm not saying
2: that's justifiable I'm reason. not, I'm not <laughs> saying
0: you are. The Yankees traded for a guy who had crazy hair. And then... There is this assumption in the world, which maybe we should talk about, and maybe I'm going to try to talk about it in a way that doesn't get me fired. There's this assumption in the world that, you know, of course, the honor of going to the Yankees, like, of course, you must get in line. He was a kid who had been growing his hair in a certain way all his life, and, like, he did it. He cut his hair, and then he didn't cut it short enough right away, and then it was a little bit, you know, too bushy in the back. But each time, he did it. Maybe... You know, last spring training, it took him an extra two or so days before he did it. And you know what? That's probably because he wasn't happy about doing it. That does not mean that he, like, doesn't care about the team or doesn't, like, put the team first. Like, I I just can never wrap my arms around why anyone cares about this stuff. No, neither can I. But I think that overarching point, maybe,
2: not just the hair policy, but the Yankee way, doing things, the pinstripe way. And Clint hasn't always necessarily fallen in line with the
0: traditional perception of that and he shouldn't but you know what I think is a really important part of the Yankee way having incredible bat speed and hitting home runs and Frazier like he really does that part mm-hmm. I think at the end of the day that probably matters more yeah absolutely I'm just trying to figure out oh,
2: your question why do people have a problem with him and I think it's just these combination of things that maybe you're not used to seeing if you're a Yankees fan or you're part of the Yankees organization,
0: but like Nate said, no, don't rein it in. And, and, and look, maybe I'm not allowed to say this um, also. <laughs> you know, we, a, a part of Clint Fraser's story actually hits home with us right now. During spring training, our photographer, Ari Goldman Hecht, took a baseball to the head, uh, a foul ball to the head. You know, so so obviously I should give a little bit of background here. The story with Clint Frazier is last year during spring training, he got a concussion And it was one of those things where, okay, you know, he's going to be shut down for a couple days and then I'll be fine. And he was never fine. And frankly, it's not just like never fine in a baseball sense. Like he was a mess all year emotionally, physically, like he had a brain injury.
4: That day felt like I was running on a couple hours of sleep. Like I went out and had a all night bender, you know. It, it was just like a hangover that wouldn't go away, and it affected my vision. It affected my my overall lifestyle. I wasn't just on the field, you know. It was it was my everyday life and my my vision. My I was having headaches. My mood was changing. I mean, I, I didn't feel like I was myself for a couple months, and that's a hard path to go down, you know. If I got in argument with somebody, my symptoms would. I would feel my symptoms change I mean, I don't think people with elbow issues, no, exactly. you know, so it's one of those things where it's like, I just had to make sure that the people that were in my corner were the best people for me because I was in a fragile state.
0: So during spring training this year, our photographer takes a foul ball to the head. She goes to the hospital. Everything's okay. You know, uh, no concussion, whatever. And you know, weeks later, this is now mid April. She still has symptoms of it. She's still not back at work and obviously. She's not being asked to hit a 99-mile-per-hour fastball. She's not being asked, you know, to run around and catch a ball screaming at her off a bat. These are brain injuries. Having done a whole segment on the virtues of the S-Network, I don't want to say anything bad about it. But there was an incident last year when, you know, one of the team's broadcasters who didn't mean anything negative about it was basically just kind of saying, like, man, and, you know... Imagine Frazier should be out there too when the team was going through all these injuries and all of a sudden it becomes a thing that he didn't like that. He Frazier didn't like hearing that because he, what he knows is I'm sitting here trying to get my brain right. There's nowhere I want to be more than on the field. And it's just, it just keeps compounding. People keep kind of like digging into him a little bit more. And so a point that he made to me, and I think I've heard him make this in a lot of other cases too, is so much of the perception about Frazier is not from things that he has said or done. It's from little whispers about things he said or done. There was this rumor that he asked for the Yankees to unretire number seven because that's the number he wanted to wear. Number seven is a pretty big number in Yankees history. <laughs> Of course they weren't going to unretire it, but if you ask him about it, and I don't know why he would lie about this, he's just like, he laughs off. He's like, of course I didn't ask for that. Like, Yeah, he said that to me the other day when we were doing quick
2: hits. He just thought it was ridiculous.
0: But if you, so you, you, you know, I mentioned before, I was playing around on Twitter and I'm trying to look, anytime someone mentions Frazier, you know, you see the negative stuff and you see people saying like, oh yeah, you know, you know, this guy thinks he's Mickey Mantle, wants to wear his number. And it's like, well. But can you show me the quote where he said that? Because I don't see that. Well, he wouldn't cut his hair. Well, have you ever had to change your physical appearance because of a job you took? Did, would you like that? I mean, he did it. <laughs> that's he certainly he, he did, a fair question. He did do it. Mm-hmm. He just wasn't happy about it. I don't, I think that's
3: okay. And even, st- I mean, he, he barely made a peep about it. Like, exactly. Oh. You know, it, a lot of this stuff, like you said, is very overblown. And I just, I can't wait for the day when he, you know. He hits 35 home runs, and this is all kind of
0: swept under the rug because everybody's going to love him then. But know? also, and look, I mean, the three of us, we've all had the opportunity, which a lot of, I'm assuming, the people listening to this haven't had, and that is talking to him. Mm-hmm. And Frazier is not some. Goofball, maniac, idiot. He is incredibly smart. Yeah, very Um,
3: insightful, very thoughtful. Good sense of
0: humor, a lot of personality. If you talk to him, I mean, I was talking to him about brain injuries. I was talking to him about brain makeup. And he's teaching me about the six different kinds of concussions and the different kinds of medication and the way that they don't affect the concussion, they affect the symptoms that the concussion causes and all these things. And I'm just sitting there nodding my head and looking at him like, "Okay, I'll probably check on some of this stuff. But sounds good to me. You seem to know your stuff here.
4: What people don't know is there's six different types of concussions. Okay. You no, know, I, I can only name like four. You'll have to look up the other two. I can't, I can't name <laughs> First one, mine was a vestibular okay. one. And then following the vestibular is an anxiety concussion. Mm-hmm. And then an ocular concussion. And then a migraine concussion. So that's why you have all those different symptoms that come up. Yeah. So the way that it was described to me was because mine was a vestibular, which is like the left and right, up and down, yep. loud noises, followed behind it was anxiety so that's where whenever i said if i got in arguments mm-hmm. then it would go right to this one and it was like a two it was like repeating his path so for my understanding like the anxiety medication is something that they can give you to help get you through it if needed yeah you know and
0: you look at that with like the idea of him as just like some too fast too furious renegade like you know run amok you know not and it's like no he's a nice he's incredibly nice by the way also like he's just like a very like friendly guy Mm -hmm. um but he's smart he's fun and
3: and and also just super like grateful like to be here like it means so much to him you know just to be putting on a uniform and the yankees uniform especially like i he he never takes anything for granted in that regard
0: And so, you know, look, what this all comes back to is this year's controversy, which is he was tweeting or I don't remember if it was Twitter or Instagram or something in the offseason and said, you know, he wants to he's healthy, which was no small thing. He worked really hard to be healthy. That was probably extremely exciting for him. He was healthy and he wanted to be the starting left fielder for the Yankees. And, of course, you see that right away and, you know, your meta-narrative tells you, like, ooh, this is going to cause a problem. And what I think the end result of the Clint Frazier— story for me and what I learned is that he's all meta narrative cuz everyone just looks at like everyone's a pundit and everyone just looks at you know how are people going to respond to this instead of what did he actually say cuz what he actually said was I'm healthy and I want to contribute to this team and I want to be a valuable player for this team now the fact that Brett Gardner was slotted in as the starting left fielder for the team look we already discussed that we're 11 days into the season and everything's you know thrown in the air and Brett Gardner's not a center fielder and Clint Frazier's a left fielder so what in the world what do you want from a player who said, man, I sure do hope I'm a bench player this year. Or you know where <laughs> I want to be? I want to be in triple A. Yeah. Like, it's, it's just, so so is the idea, of course, Clint Frazier shouldn't be allowed to speak. Well, maybe that's what people say. Ugh. But, like, what do you want? And, and and he he has this tick where he gets a little defensive at first, saying, you know, I, I don't really know. Like, I don't really know what I should have said there. And then he immediately goes to, I don't know if it's like media training or his agent training camp, but just like, but you know, th- those people who say that, they're right, they're right, I haven't done anything yet. And you just want to shake him and say, Clint, like you don't need to apologize for saying that you want to win the left field job. Every single player that is in, The Gulf Coast League should want to win the major league left field job. Mm -hmm. That is what you want. That is what Brian Cashman wants is for you to approach spring training saying, I want to perform so well for this team that Brian Cashman and Aaron Boone have to make an impossible decision.
4: Yeah, I mean, I I pulled him aside and just said, like, look, you know, I'm trying to make sure that I'm respectful with everything I say. Like, I don't really know what to say. I'm just answering it. And, And I told him, I said, you deserve the respect for me to come over here and tell you that because he's been great to me he's literally been better to me than he probably should have been i mean i don't deserve none of us because he's such a i say none of us i don't deserve to be treated that way because i haven't done anything And he respects you no matter what you've done and he invites you over to the room and we hang out after the games and we and he just makes you feel comfortable and for him to do that it would be completely wrong of me to try to you know vocalize myself like I have no respect towards him for what he's done the last 10 years and he's been great and, and I'm trying to just play stay on the field and be respectful
2: what do you think Brett Gardner was thinking when he first came up hey let me be
0: I know what Brett Ford, was the fourth guy he, first he said it he said I was doing the same thing you don't think that I was going to spring training saying like I want to win this job exactly It's, it's nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. I mean,
3: (laughs) well, John, I think, uh, we've here uh, on this episode of the podcast, we've tried to paint a little fuller picture of, uh, you know, Clint Frazier and your feature in the April issue does an even better and more thorough job of, uh, you know, giving some insight into where he's coming from. And, um, I I really enjoyed reading this. I, I liked having the, uh, you know, the Swisher Input, too, I thought was was a a good touch. (laughs) I'd call it
0: interesting. At some point, look, I mean, Swisher was very helpful. And I think that in the end, he actually gave me great stuff that really taught me a lot about what it's like to be a little bit of a loud... I mean, Swisher said there were guys that he knew he rubbed the wrong way. And my concern was that I wanted him to talk more about that instead of the reasons he was wrong to do that. I don't think Swisher was wrong to do it. I think Swisher was right to do it. Be yourself. He was the best player when he was being himself. I think Clint Frazier is the same thing. I think... Look, I'm not invested in the Clint Frazier. You know, I, I get no cut of his contract or anything like that. I just, I know as a writer, I know as a baseball fan, like, yes, let the kids play. I, I want to watch more players like Clint Frazier out Absolutely.
3: in the field. And so, especially but. from a from a writer's perspective, I mean, it's just he's a, you know, he's a, a, an interesting guy to talk to, and I hope he's here for a long time. I, I wish him nothing but the best.
0: So that story is let it be. It's in the April issue. You can pick up the copies of the April issue at the Yankee Stadium. You can also call 800-GO-YANKS to buy individual copies or to subscribe. We actually do have a couple of copies left of the special opening day edition, so make sure you get on that quickly if you want to get it. You can also visit wwwyankeescom publications where you can purchase, again, single issues or subscriptions. Please check us out at yankees.com/slash/magazine, where you can read all of our long-form content. Also, follow us on Twitter at Yanks Magazine. We're always asking questions, looking for ways to engage with our fans and sharing some of our interesting ideas that we're working on, sharing some of our stories we've written. You can email us at podcast at yankees.com. We desperately want to hear from you. Let us know what you want us to talk about. Please, 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 please subscribe, rate, review us. All that stuff helps get your parents phones when you're home for whether it's Easter or Passover or anything take their phones and subscribe for them they'll thank you later and look two weeks into the season not necessarily where we want to be yet but there's a lot of time left and we hope you'll all join us for the journey we look forward to talking to you all year long so we'll see you in two weeks have a good one
4: hi this is Greg Bird you don't have to wait for the first pitch to get caught up on some of the best stories about your 27 time world champion Yankees Subscribe to and download the Yankees Magazine podcast by visiting yankees.com slash
1: podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper the better